if I'm going to sit before the Apostle Paul someday and say, how did you understand male headship within respect to the local church? I'll say, well, as you well know, Paul, since you're an Anglican yourself. Um, <laughs> like we, Jesus. That's right. <laughs> Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, here today with Matt Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, and J.D. Koch of Christ Church Anglican in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. How are you guys doing today? Great. Great, bud. Yeah, I popped uh, DC Talks Jesus Freak album into the CD player this morning, driving Hazel to school, and you know what? I like it. Are there any old school Christian entertainments that you all still hold on to? And I'm so thankful I missed that era. I was, I was, I was, a, I was a rank you pagan. You missed out. I was out. a rank pagan. And, I was wondering uh, what you were. Like ACDC and yeah. like you that. You could have done both. Christian. You could have I done both. To classical, so. <laughs> so no, you could so have done. You could have done. You go into the Christian bookstore and it says, "If you like ACDC, that's right. That's thinner, right. Then you could. You might like Petra. C-A-C-D. That's right. I thought it was a wonderful, you know, a little lesser known fact about me, which I'm sure the uh, library someday will will um uh, it's, uh, <laughs> the JD Cook Memorial right. Library. That's, yeah. that's right. Uh, when Liza met me, I was doing a. I was a Christian radio DJ on WLUR, the voice of Lexington, um, which is at Washington Lee, where we went. And she thought it was cool enough. Uh, but I started and ended every show with Rich Mullins's Awesome God. Um, and, you know, had we started pledge, had we started rushing uh, then, I would never have made it into any fraternities, of course. But, <laughs> but it was, um, I had a deep affection for Christian music. Uh, well, Rich Mullins, Petra, I mean, all of them, all of them, uh, DC Talk, most notably. You know that Jesus Freak was purposely intended to to mirror sort of, I don't know the exact chord progression, but at least the idea of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, um, Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit, which, um, you know, was a lot better, uh, more uh, wholesome to listen to than you heathens and you're dancing and you're, and you're smoking and dipping, Matt. That's what... <laughs> so I saw Footloose. I know what you were all about. <clears throat> Well, today we're going to talk about the goings-on in the Anglican world, specifically a recent happening in Kenya. Uh, the Anglican Church of Kenya is a member of GAFCON, which stands for Global Anglican Futures Conference, the conference of biblically orthodox worldwide Anglicans who met in 2008 to draft the Jerusalem Declaration and to call for the founding of a new province in America, the province that became the ACNA, the Anglican Church in North America. GAFCON is a more exclusive network than the worldwide Anglican Communion because it only includes provinces that are committed to the ideals that the Jerusalem Declaration puts forward, notably in the areas of human identity and sexuality. There are, of course, some issues that GAFCON provinces don't fully agree on, including the place of women in the threefold order of ministry in the church, deacon, presbyter or priest, and bishop. And in order to facilitate the formation of GAFCON, though, it was decided, and Matt, I want you to flesh this out for us in a minute, it was decided that member provinces would commit to a moratorium on the consecration of women to the episcopate. Since then, though, despite that moratorium, three women have been made 
bishops, one in South Sudan and two in Kenya, one just a couple of weeks ago. So Matt, help us understand the context here. You were more aware of these conversations as they were happening than JD or I were. Do I have my history right? And yes. does this recent consecration, what does this recent consecration mean for GAFCON, for the ACNA and for global Anglicanism more broadly? Yeah, you, you have your history right. In, in general, broad strokes, yes. I, I was at the original GAFCON meeting in, in 2008, and there were, of course, represented there uh, provinces and dioceses who had, that had very different understandings of the place of women in the church. And it was decided that the, the best compromise, the best way forward to, to keep that issue from breaking us all apart was just to agree to disagree with when it comes to presbyters and deacons, but to uh, just have a moratorium on, on bishops. And that, uh, in fact, that, that agreement was one of the, one of the arguments, one of the reasons we were able, I was in the governance task force that was putting together the constitution for the ACNA um, at the time. The, the agreement among the provinces and GAFCON to have a moratorium on women bishops is why we have that, Regulation in our own constitution that says no province, no uh, no diocese can elect or uh, have a, a female in the Episcopal office. So because we were trying to comply with um, with GAFCON, I mean, it, if GAFCON hadn't said that, I imagine the fight would have been a lot more difficult in the formation of the process, the province, than it was. But even the pro uh, women's ordination dioceses that were coming into the province recognized, hey, we want to be part of GAFCON. Let's let's honor the moratorium, and so they they signed on to the constitution as written. And then, you know, there were two, uh, there was an article that was put out yesterday, I believe, in the North American Anglican by Father Lee Nelson, I believe, uh, who also was at GAFCON 2008. And he, he kind of details the history of the violations of that moratorium. The first one was in 2014 with a, a woman who was a, a consecrated bishop in Sudan. And there was kind of a, uh, I say wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but there was... <laughs> There was a uh, there was okay. This is an extraordinary circumstance because Sudan at the time was going was, was having and still is having some a lot, of, a lot of turmoil. But this this one's a bit different in the sense that uh, it was it was signaled last year this was going to happen, I believe. And there was a lot of a lot of people said don't do this. Mm. A lot of people said don't do this. And and Kenya went ahead and went forward um, with it. I guess how this plays out now, I mean, your second part of your question, I believe, was was what, how this affects the ACNA and our relationship with the AFCON now. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, I don't, I mean, looks, our archbishop apparently doesn't think it affects our relationship with the AFCON very much. I mean, I understand he was in a difficult place. Well, he wrote a letter to the province yep. saying that his conscience is firm and that our constitution is clear. Right. Um, so, in terms of it having a direct effect, a sort of regulatory effect on us, that's not happening. Exactly. Although that being said, I mean, the, again, the reason for that, the reason that constitutional article was allowed was put in uh, without much fight was because of the GAFCON agreement. Mm -hmm. Now, if the GAFCON agreement is gone, I imagine that there'll be at least more of a push from those who uh, who are who are pushing for women's ordination. Uh, women's consecration to the office of bishop, I imagine there's going to be an increased push for that within the ACNA. Interesting. And 
maybe an attempt to, uh, to amend the Constitution. I don't think it'll go very far, but that's that's a possibility. Well, here's a question, Matt, that um, that came up in a class that's being taught here at Christchurch because uh, when Bishop Lawrence announced his re- his retirement. Uh, for many people, it was the first time they had heard anything about this limitation of um, the episcopacy to men, and that prompted some uh, some good-natured but real conversations around the parish, which has culminated in Ted, the rector here, teaching um, a class on what the church thinks about these things, which is um, you know, which is an open-ended class. It's uh, it may be still being taught years from now. But one of the questions that came up very early on as they were reading through this uh, declaration, which I'd be interested to hear your your thoughts on, was when this uh, agreement was reached, was it with an eye towards revisiting it at some point, or was it a agreement that this was simply going to be an open, uh, sort of not forced, but was it going to be a compromise that was simply going to be constitutive of whatever the ACNA was going forward? There's all there's always people who agree to something who don't tell you what their real thoughts are about what's going to happen later. Uh, so perhaps there are people at the table who are thinking, okay, let's agree to this now and push for something else later. But as far as what was spoken, what was said uh, in the governance committee and at GAVCON, I don't think that anyone was thinking, okay, we're going to revisit the bishop, the, the question of women bishops later. There, there was a sense that, okay, we're going to put this outer limit up there within the province within within the ACNA we're going to put this outer limit of no women bishops and we're going to we're going to we're going to discuss and and debate the issue of women presbyters um and within this within this overall limit because we can't go past the the moratorium that's been set on GAFCON but there wasn't I don't think there was any talk of ultimately there being women bishops or even even a question on the table here's a question that I bet some of our listeners are wondering, especially those who are from traditions like the Episcopal Church, for instance, where there was this big triannual conference. What is the structure for the ACNA to revisit its constitution and canons? How does that happen? There, there would have to be a um, if, if I'm, I'm now just going off the top of my head, memory, <laughs> right? So, I think there would have to be a two-thirds majority vote twice in a row, I think, of the, of the assembly. And then there would be a, peri- a period of a delay before it went into effect to allow those, those dioceses that wanted to break out to break out before this went into effect. I'll have to go back and look at that, but that's what I remember from just off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, even in the statement back in 2017, Archbishop Foley intimated that it was going to be rather difficult for us to change um, this. Uh, you know, he writes, or he writes, it was unanimously agreed that women will not be consecrated as bishops in the Anglican Church in North America. These positions are established within our constitution and canons, and because we're a conciliar church, would require the action of both provincial council and provincial assembly to be changed, which, which at least in our reading of it here, the way it's been discussed is kind of an intimation or an implication that it's... Um, it would be uh, highly unlikely for it to make it through, um, you know, at least from the ACNA canonical uh, perspective, which, as we've spoken about before, lends credence to the, at least the the um, caution when joining the ACNA is like this is what you're this is what you're joining, you know, this is what we have decided, this is how we have we have uh, thread this needle, and uh, it may not be. Um, 
uh, sufficient for for you on either side of the issue, in which case you would need to you know search your heart about whether or not you can you can live peaceably amongst this disagreement. But if you if you can't, well, that's one thing. But if you can, well, then then we can we can walk together. And I think that's what's being threatened is that the good uh, sort of the, the goodwill for people who saw you know who perhaps were against uh, you know women being ordained to any of the uh, threefold order uh, said, well, as long as we can have this uh, this this stipulation which allows us in good conscience to still work underneath the ecclesial authority of uh, male headship, however understood, then you know we'll go ahead and let this sort of local option from a diocesan perspective sit. And now that's being threatened. Uh, from a gap from a global perspective, and I think that certain people are rightly feel um, that there is um, um, that things are not well that that they've been let down. I think would be the most polite way of saying it um, in terms of what they had signed up for. Matt, will you clarify for our listeners what GAFCON is? It's not a hierarchical structure, right? No, no, no. A global Anglican. Uh, uh, fellowship person. Futures, Futures, Futures con- conference, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's not a it, by any means something like the, the it's Anglican not even Union, an organization, right? really. No, it's right? it's a fellowship. It's a confederation, yeah. <laughs> maybe at the most. There is a we do operate. Gafcon operates in more of a gentleman's agreement kind of way. We all agree to do certain things. We put together certain joint organizations, joint ministries among provinces. Um, we all agree to a, to the Jerusalem Declaration, but there's not a but the our, our Archbishop right now is the chairman of Gafcon, and he can't call up the Kenyan uh, Kenyan um, Archbishop and say, "Hey, you know, no, don't do this." <laughs> he just can't do that. There's not that kind of power. So in that kind of loose structure, it really does depend on on provinces keeping their word about things, which is which is somewhat fraught because provinces aren't static you have you have people who are of one mindset in the office of the primate one year and then three years later you're gonna have someone else and four years later you have someone else and you're gonna have the whole house of bishops change and um and so you're gonna have kenya nigeria uganda and us being of one character one decade and a totally different character the next decade hopefully not hopefully not so far so much different that you're outside the bounds of orthodoxy, but but you're gonna you might have a, a very pro women's ordination province uh, that has you know, emerged out of a once not so pro province. We, that's just the nature of the beast, and and because we don't have because we don't have an overarching authority, there's not much we can do about it um, unless we want to just, just disassociate altogether. Speaking of disassociating altogether, JD, why don't you handle this one? Um, what's sell me on <clears throat> connectivity to global Anglicanism? What is the benefit to being connected either to the worldwide Anglican Communion or CAFCON or to some other structure like it? Well, um, that's a good question. I mean, I think that uh, that fundamentally with respect to a worldwide witness, the, uh, the sort of benefit of being involved in a united front, um, every tongue, tribe, nation, and um, you know, culture around the world is quite a, um, a beautiful witness. I mean, I think in particularly, uh, well, it's always been, but uh, as we've seen over the past 18, you know, 24 months, uh, the questions as to whether that's even possible, you know, the fact that we have this 
um, network of genuine uh, Christian affection and brother and sisterhood uh, across the world is is quite a witness to the promise that Jesus, well, the answer to his prayer that they might be one. You know, I think that there's something fundamentally to that. I mean, as a as a low, uh, cl- classically low church Protestant, you know, I have a harder time getting fired up about some of the ecclesial arguments about, you, you know, apostolic succession and the um, various diocesan understanding of the of, of the well, just all of it, all of the ecclesiology. I mean, frankly, I have a hard time getting fired up about it because I think it's, why did you ask me this? You should have asked the <laughs> resident. Papist, the resident. <laughs> but, but I think that, you know, I do think, I and mean, this goes back to what we've spoken about generally, uh, basically every other show, it seems like, is that the, what we're, we're, we're trying to live into is a version, and I know some people don't like the term, but at the very least it's coming to mind of what C.S. Lewis would call the mere Christian idea, you know, that there's a version of, of genuine biblical Christianity that has, uh, what we would argue, is rightfully crucicentric, you know, rightfully centered around the death and resurrection of Christ and necessarily evangelistic, and therefore it can be united, in fact, despite some of the secondary differences about um, polity and, and churchmanship and things. And we, as a Anglican, worldwide Anglican um, sort of body, uh, you know, second to the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox, have at the very least maintained a semblance of unity, numerically speaking, which I think is is a worthy endeavor. And, you know, the, it was put into peril, obviously, in the West, as we are painfully aware, uh, when the, um, you know, leadership of the sort of Western Anglican Church lost confidence in the scriptures, lost confidence in the faith once for all delivered to the saints, which was necessitated, which then necessitated this great reset, of which GAFCON is a part. And so I think the concern that people have is that with relatively short order, you know, all of the, the, protective measures that were put into place, um, namely the statements of the Jerusalem Declaration, you know, the recapitulation of the Anglican um, sources of authority, the um, the agreements about how we were to understand even these great disagreements about the threefold ministry, that with relatively short order, those have already been tested and, um, and challenged. And I think that's the concern. I mean, that people will have problems with these things going forward is part of what we can see for the past 2000 years of Christian history. I mean, that's in a sense, I mean, what did somebody once describe the entire uh, reality of Christian history is just one long extended argument about what the Bible means, you know, and I think that's, that's a fair assessment to what we're talking about, but we have put into place and we've said this before, we have the bones, we have the, the guardrails, we have the, the structures that at the very least, if, if we're, we're put into place to prevent something like this happening. And I think that's what the real concern is, is that, you know, there's all this talk now, like, well, we didn't know that the moratorium was, was forever, or that we didn't understand it this way, or this, that, and the other. And it just doesn't, doesn't ring, doesn't, doesn't sound legit. It doesn't sound right when it's, when it's described. Um, and I think that's why people are rightly concerned. And it, here's what's uncharitable <laughs> about it. I think the, there are, there are two reasons that people oppose women's ordination in general. Um, there's, there's an argument from an Anglo-Catholic perspective, uh, which is that uh, the, the woman is not the proper uh, person to, be, uh, to exercise the priestly office, and so she can't validly celebrate the sacraments. And so they would argue that it, it's, it, you're, you're not a real priest, and so 
since the sacraments play such a central role in the in the life of someone who believes in this way um that you you're not even you're not even receiving them under a woman under a woman quote-unquote priest so it's a it's a salvation issue from the anglo-catholic perspective it's not just it's not just that we can agree to disagree that's why anglo-catholic dioceses in the acna are you know don't have they're they're not in intercommunion necessarily with some other uh dioceses in the same province but they're not you know you you either they're very careful about where the lineage of their priests come from who who ordained them where where they served all those kind of things so um that's one argument so it comes from the, the sacerdotal pr- perspective the other argument from an evangelical perspective has to do with the scriptures where, where there's this principle of headship and in, in both family where the husband is the head over the, the wife and then the and then the uh, male is the is the one who exercises the headship over a local congregation um, and in particular, uh, in the office of presbyter. And the argument is, well, the Bible pretty clearly specifies that the presbyter, the pastor, um, must be a male. Uh, there are there's some there's some arguments within um, the evangelical view, whether a woman could be ordained to the presbyterate and not not be a rector, not be the, in charge of a church and still maintain that headship principle. But in general, the, the the position is you can't have a female over the whole church. There was a compromise. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a level of compromise then within Anglicanism where some have said, okay, well, we don't we don't agree with it, but as long as we don't have female bishops, since a bishop is the primary head right. of, a, of a region, um, we can go ahead and we won't we don't like it, but we'll permit some dioceses to have female presbyters. It's not a sacerdotal argument. It's an argument from biblical order and biblical establishment. Um, what's unkind about this is it just <laughs> undercuts both. Like so, so if if women bishops are permitted, province, I mean, in in the in Gafcon and the province, if ever were allowed in the in the ACNA, both the Anglo Catholics and the the evangelicals who hold to this headship principle would be we couldn't we couldn't continue together. That because to me, I, I I tend I'm on the evangelical side of this. To me, it's a just a direct violation of that of that headship principle, and we have we would then have a church that is openly defying God. And and from the egalitarian perspective, the ones who would be arguing for women bishops would necessarily be latching onto um, what's called the trajectory argument. Uh, it, and I think that it was best articulated recently by Dr. Peter Moore at, uh, at, at TSM, from from mistaken. He argued that, okay, well, we have this, we have in the New Testament, yes, limitations on what women can do and limitations on what certain people can do. But if you know, if you note, uh, there's always this kind of push toward liberation in, in the New Testament um, that hasn't quite reached fruition in the New in the New Testament era, but that we can we can take that trajectory and project it forward so that because there's no male and female. Um, we can assume that at some point it was the intention of God that women would exercise equal roles within the church as, as men do. That's a wholly different argument than, say, lim- the limited woman ordination argument that I mentioned a minute ago, where yes. we'll say, okay, well, they can be kind of in charge under a male bishop or under a male rector. That's, that's a completely different species of yeah. argument that, that most traditional evangelicals and all Anglo-Catholics would find repugnant. Yeah, I mean, implicit in that argument, in the trajectory argument, is the idea that it is um, that liberation is necessary. That mm-hmm. there's that there could be no 
no good created um, ordering of uh, differentiated roles for, for men and women within the church or within the family, really, for that matter. I right. mean, that's that's a little bit where I um, ran into it uh, in its most radical form was when I had a discussion with someone who was um, who was an evangelical person uh, by their own attestation who was was uh, had a very, um, we should say, egalitarian view of things and was essentially arguing for uh, functional uh, sort of a nominalism when it came to uh, uh, mothers and fathers, meaning that they were just functional roles, you know, outside of the actual, um, you know, birthing and breastfeeding um, situation that in terms of uh, beyond that, that, that they were simply um, like functionaries, and I said, better, well, right? "Yeah," and I said, "Well, well, goodness, that's that's an incredibly radical viewpoint. Like, if that's true, <laughs> well, then like everything is different than 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 you know what we've what we have received." And I'm not sure. Not only one, am I ready to to make that uh, change? I don't. I think that what has now been done to the scriptures, and you know, um, Tyndale's plowboy, you know, who reads the scriptures as it were clearly, he can know possibly have discerned this uh, this mystery from from what you. Uh, from what the Bible attests to. And so it's not something to casually assert. Right. And I think that's where, that's where the real problem, uh, the challenge, I should say for the ACNA lies, because I, like you all have taken vows in this church and am uh, comfortable with the uh, compromise. So established and, you know, think that it's somewhat, uh, you know, that's where the ecclesiology comes in, Nick. I mean, if, if I'm going to sit before the apostle Paul someday and say, how did you understand male headship within respect to the local church i'll say well as you well know paul since you're an anglican yourself um, <laughs> like we, jesus that's right the, the, the smallest the smallest the most uh the most um the, the principle of subsidiarity that the you know the most organic unit of any anglican uh, polity is the diocese and the bishop is the head and the chief pastor and so uh since we have limited that office to men we are following your admonition and so uh leave me alone paul you know <laughs> so, and i think and again that's to your point though matt is that that's bringing this into question that that compromise which to to my way of thinking is not an uneasy compromise necessarily i can get behind that i've taught that i've I've explicated that to people who had questions the problem that i've run into and i think this is one of the challenges we're going to face is that the uh, superficiality with which people hold their opponent's position on this this i would say opponent because it it rather gets rather emotional very quickly so what i mean is if you are if you're someone who is full-throated in support of women's ordination to every level, then the caricature that you have of your fellow presbyters, perhaps, or at the very least, your fellow congregants in the ACNA is often woefully underformed. And it goes both ways. Is that people who are, you know, who have see the sort of innovation, as our bishop, as the statement even said, of women to the presbytery, uh, at the very least, um, presbyters, um, uh, as something that is just outside the bounds of comprehension, um, well, you know, we're going to have to find a way to appreciate and acknowledge some validity in the opposing side's position, or I don't know what we're going to do going forward. And I think that's where this compromise, as uneasy as it was, allowed for um, a admission of um, of tradition and, as it were, some uh, variation on the tradition that is now that was an that was an inelegant compromise, perhaps, but it was one nevertheless, and it's being brought into question. And I think that's that's where we're we're going to have a hard time going forward because there certainly are some people, as you mentioned, who will see this as the next step 
towards the final goal, which was to see, um, you know, there'd be no distinction between men and women to any of the threefold orders. And I think that's, uh, well, that's going to be a different vision than the founding idea of uh, the ACNA uh, was in the first place. I mean, Dr. Dr. Witt, um, who's one of, promote, pro, one of the premier promote, proponents of, of I mean, just complete egalitarianism in, in the ACNA and elsewhere, he does not acknowledge at all the, what I think is almost, it just, it just breathes through the pages of the scriptures, the, the relationship between Christ and his church or God and Israel as husband and bride. Um, that is reflected in both the relationship between husband and wife, as Paul says explicitly in Ephesians, in Ephesians five, and I think it's reflect. And I think it's, that's I think that's one of the reasons why Paul does say, you know, a woman doesn't hold uh, teaching authority over a man because because there's, it's being ref- that, that relationship between Christ and His Church is being reflected even in the presbyter congregation relationship, and that's ruined. That's eviscerated. I mean, if if you take if you decide that there that there is no male and female when it comes to church office or when it comes to marriage, then that does destroy or disrupt the gospel picture that's that's there in the in the traditional view and I think in, in the New Testament. So it's it's not a, it's not a small thing. It's not a white thing. Right. We're not even we're not even talking the same language um, when when people begin saying that the sexes are interchangeable. Um, it, it, God. God, the, the way the gospel plays out in the in the pages of the New Testament is very much enfleshed and and typified in the male and female relationship, and you can't get away from that very easily without without just ignoring um, huge swaths of the Bible. Yeah, and I think this is part of the problem: is that when you taught, uh, we should say, qualified complementarianism. You know, with, if let's say this, let's say you were you were in the ACNA and you you were. Um, you were okay, if not supportive of the limitation for the Episcopacy to men, right? Uh, Which means that's what you were going to teach. And so you explained and you understood that this was a variation, albeit a fairly novel one of Paul's, following Paul's admonition, did I not allow a woman to exercise authority over a man? Um, It was an application of uh, the headship principle, you know, which is still in keeping with tradition. And there would be some who would see this as a step too far by allowing women, um, you know, priests and deacons. And yet this was part of our understanding of what it meant to be um, Anglicans in the 21st century. Like, that's fine. I think that's that was the heart behind the compromise is that there was people who would at the very least, this is this is, you know, the question that I put forward because of this compromise to people is that the question for the ACNA ministers is not if we're complementarian, it's to what degree. And there's a there's a spectrum, but as long as you had this this limitation in our constitution, then that was an admission that there was this is how we understand our standing before God and under the scriptures and is, and their authority over how to read you know, these various passages and understand scripture, tradition, and reason in light of the church. And so um, I think that's been the frustrating thing that I've run into uh, since joining the ACNA is not the existence of this compromise, but the, basically the, like you said in the beginning, the almost wink, wink, nudge, nudge on both sides, but more likely on the people who think any limitation is a problem that, well, this is just, this will exist as long as, um, you know, the boomers do, you know, sort of idea. Um, because as soon as the young people uh, get into power or to get into positions of authority, then we know the right side of history that they'll be on. And that's been quite, dis- quite disconcerting um, 
to me as a as a good evangelical because I would want to say you know the right side of history uh, is a lot longer than forty years uh, when it comes to uh, the tradition and scriptural witness of the church. Um, and so I just like we said before, Nick, like we're very careful when we begin to um, to reorder some of the foundational um, convictions of of uh, the way the Bible has been understood. Um, for for millennia um you know we just want to we very we want to take do that with bated breath you know and shaking hands um not just uh, reckless abandon so where does gafcon go from here i mean in the acna we do have constitution and canons that put the guardrails that jd was referring to earlier around what happens in our province those things do not exist for gafcon is that right there's no documents that govern CAFCON. It's simply a conference of like-minded Anglicans. So do the bishops, I assume they're going to come together and talk. <laughs> That's what they do. What is the, what is the next step here? In Dava. Indava is the next step. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's a lot circles. of. That's right. A lot of uh, post-it notes that you post on different. You you write down your feelings and put them on various parts <laughs> of the uh, church. Um, I uh, there is. I mean, there is a document that we all have to agree with to be in GAFCON. That's the Jerusalem Declaration. But <clears> the <throat> Jerusalem Declaration doesn't specifically address this. It addresses. Um, addresses homosexuality. So if if one of the provinces were to say, "Hey, we're right. for this." Uh, LGBTQ stuff, then yeah, there'd be a reason to say you're not in GAFCON anymore. Um, But since this doesn't, the, it doesn't specifically address this. And um, the, I guess the agreement not to consecrate a woman was considered a a gentleman's agreement. I mean, I guess we have to say that, you know, one of the provinces is is not quite a gentleman, um, (laughs) or or more of them. Uh, But I don't know what, I don't know what reasonably we could do other apart from actually divorcing ourselves from GAFCON or setting up a subgroup within GAFCON of, of, of provinces that will not do this and make an insight yeah, like not to do M GAFCON, like mostly global, uh, uh, mostly <laughs> kind of global, like, like, like for the most part, global. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, sort of global. Um, but I mean, that's, uh, I mean, look, that's what Anglicans do, I guess. I mean, if we're, so, so we're in this organization and uh, it is, one of the members has has left something nasty in the pool so let's let's go on the other side of the pool um (laughs) and gather there Um, that's the title of the podcast right there i know where you i mean we could say because we look we're we're all part of the acna and there are organizations within the acna that are standing for something that the province as a whole doesn't necessarily affirm um, but we can stay together as a province and still be have our little subgroups. And so there could be something like that for me, where there's yeah. a subgroup of, of GAFCON, um, GAFCON provinces that say, to be part of this little subgroup, you can't do what Kenya just did or what Sudan did. Yeah, and I think it's just exposed the need for, um, and, this, and again, I, I felt like a broken record, but we have to, these, these underground conversations about this compromise, like have to come out into the open. We cannot have um, basically, you know, two sort of secret groups underground, one for full-throated egalitarianism, for lack of a better word, and one who thinks that's the, the you know, a salvation issue. I mean, again, it's, it's the evangelical and Anglican 
Catholic, like I'm putting myself I'm sympathetic with all of it, but we, we at least have to acknowledge that that's what we actually think. So if it turns out that, that we have to at least come honestly to the table and keep talking about it, keep walking around it. Well, that's preferable to this either slow decline or, you know, further um, fracturing just behind the scenes, because we've seen this before, you know, I just did this. We've seen how, how polite everyone can be as we all sort of asphyxiate because no one has enough, (laughs) you know, guts to just clear the air, you know? And I think this is where Again, I mean, we've talked about this like the first time we ever met Matt years ago now about how, you know, seminary education could just be a rigorous, uh, you know, the if you can graduate from seminary with a 20 page original language exegetical paper for and against women's ordination, given scripture, tradition and reason, well, then you will have done sufficient work to actually understand all of the challenges to both positions, all of the the difficulties that go into, you know, again, down the line, and at the very least have some sympathy and some concern for the people that you're going to be ministering to on both sides of this issue. And, and the lack of charity and the lack of, of appreciation for the basic Christian humanity of both sides of this, but I have to be honest, it has, it, at least in, in as far as I can tell online, it more often rears its head with just yeah. blanket statements of patriarchy and misogyny than it does, um, at least in my experience. I know everyone, that's just anecdotal, but um, that seems to be much more the, the criteria, the, the critique levied against anyone that would question the efficacy of this as opposed to um, where the shoe actually should be, which is that, you know, with fear and trembling, I'm going to offer up, this is like the conversation I had with this person with, with respect to the, the new reading on Ephesians. It's like, you realize this is as radical, if not more so than anything that ever was put forward at the time of the Reformation with respect to how to understand the Bible and God's witness through, um, through the, the entire uh, history of the Judeo-Christian witness to the world. I was like, this is how big that is. And so I'm not against us having been wrong. I mean, we people have been wrong before, but but this is this is an, a monumental change, and it's not just one that we take lightly. And to have a little bit of sympathy and appreciation for the the stakes that we're dealing with here could go a long way in helping this conversation be a lot more fruitful as opposed to acrimonious. And I think that's where. If we can add, I mean, I know some people, if they're not listening to this, but if they thought we were saying something like we could add to the peacefulness of the conversation, they might think that was quite funny, but but it really is the intention, is the intention is to walk into a church and have someone say, what is this? We can't have women priests. Why does ACNA not like women or bishops and be able to actually hear um, the confusion, the sort of traditional ignorance, and just the genuine heart of saying, help me understand this, you know, let's reason together, without either saying, well, that's just because we believe the Bible, or because we're not misogynist, or whatever the case, you know, knee jerk reaction. Well, that would be a that would be a welcome change. And I think, um, you know, we are trying to do that. I mean, however, imperfectly. And I, th- you know, I think that's what this whole conflict has exposed in the ACNA is that whether it's easy or not to change our constitution, the same disagreements exist. We're all very aware of them. And we have to do something to acknowledge those disagreements, you know, sooner than later, or, or I think it's just going to get more divided and more acrimonious. I think you hit on one of the things that makes this conversation more difficult now than it may have been even five years ago or six years ago. Um, and that's the cynicism that's brought into the conversation with uh, the wokeism. 
Kristen Dumais, for example, um, when she's talking about evangelicals who disagree with the LGBTQ movement, she doesn't say they disagree. She says that they say they disagree because they have biblical convictions, but right, really, right. really, it's because they're 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 um, they're bigots. They right. hate it. And so Cis hetero patriarchy. Yeah, and, yeah. and the closeted, reason why exactly closeted homosexuals themselves. Complementarianism right. is not really a biblically doesn't it's not really has any biblical integrity. It's not that. It's because they're. They're patriarchalists. They, right. they want to keep women down, well, and so and so the other many people on the other side of this question can't really engage with the with those who disagree with women's ordination honestly because they don't believe they're dealing with honest people. They believe that's right. they're dealing with that's right. um, with ideologues, and and right. and so they because they've so bought that narrative, um, and so when that happens, of course they're going to think you're misogynistic. There, there's right. no other way. There's no other answer for it. Well, Beth Allison and Beth Allison Barr, who's another one of the new canon of the um, Smash the Patriarchy evangelical books, um, said had a tweet the other day that said, you know, she says that anyone that's against women preachers. Uh, which in a Baptist context, I guess, means, you know, their head pastor must not have ever heard a woman preach. And then she says that, you know, it just boggles the mind that anyone could have an objection to this. And I said, there's just so, so many, not just red herring, but sort of, like you said, like cynical dismissals of, of the entire argument that has been, you know, articulated in books every single generation, at least for the past 200 years, as far as I could tell, um, about why, despite the eloquence and capability and all of the various ways you would possibly say um, that women speakers could have, that there seemed to have been this, this, there seems to have been a consensus about the limitations and the various roles and responsibilities of men and women within the family and the church. Like, and this is And how... not just a consensus, <clears throat> but a scriptural warrant. That's right. And so you know, there is a actually a fairly, and I think that's the beauty of the ACNA. There's actually a fairly wide berth given for how to understand that consensus, you know, in that represented by our various bishops. And yet there's still even there a limit, which is a step too far for uh, people who are just cynically writing it all off as patriarchal power grabs. And you sit there and you say, well, you know, if I mean, maybe Machen again, mention him every every other podcast was right. I mean, if if that's how you see traditional Christianity, then perhaps we are just talking about two two different religions, because I can't like I'm happy to like the Bereans open the scriptures and reason together um, and be corrected and um, and have been, you know, over the course of my life by people more knowledgeable or more persuasive and, and from the scriptures. But but if we're simply going to dismiss um, that is our unified authority. Well, then we're we're not talking about the same thing. And so, um, again, and that goes back to the thing about seminary is that I'm I am I have found the arguments for a full throated egalitarianism, for lack of a better word, uh, plausible in the hands of like very skilled highly trained exegetes, you know, like you can read some N.T. Wright, you can read some, you know, what was that guy, uh, William Webb, you know, Slaves, Women's and Homosexuals, the book. I mean, you can read it if, if you have like a PhD in every single um, ancient language and you have, you know, you can put together this, this quite, um, uh, this, this sort of, uh, this argument, well, it's, it's plausible. I mean, it stretches the plausibility, but it's plausible. I don't find it persuasive personally, but that needs to be taught and let it just sit there, you know, teach both sides, teach the best of the evangelical, um, you know, Bible believing arguments for and against, and let, 
um, you know, let the presbyter in the ACNA come to his, or in the case might be in some diocese, her conclusions, and then walk into the church teaching and preaching and proclaiming this. And so be it. I mean, that's that's where I think, and, and as we'll see, there will be people who will be um, convinced and convicted on either side of this the other way than they went into it. And again, that will be part of the, the um, refining and equipping reality of, of the church um, on this issue. But as far as I can tell, that's the only hope going forward, because if we continue to just cynically dismiss those on the other side, as either not believing the Bible or being patriarchist uh, or, you know, misogynist, hetero, cis, heteronormative, uh, patriarchal, whatever. Um, well, then, you know, Lord help us. There, there are, you know, there's, there are some people who I think are, are, are hurt by this conversation. And I don't want to use the word hurt because that's such a politically charged word now, isn't it? Um, I don't think an argument can hurt anybody. But, but the people who, are, who get put to the wayside, I think, um, are those women who 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 genuinely believe themselves to be acting under the authority of Scripture? Who don't think they're um, they're violating the Bible? Who do, who 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 are in good conscience, at least from their perspective, have taken orders in the Episcopal Church and then lost a lot, like we all did coming out of that, and suffered a lot because of their their stand for uh, Orthodox sexuality, and then they get. When they when they start to get into the argument with people, especially on social media, um, or they get into the crosshairs of people people on social media, coming from people who share our perspective, uh, sometimes when like that get kind of broad brushed into the same category as the radicals, right? <laughs> so Are not you every hypothetically here, Matt. No, no, no. <laughs> not every not every ordained woman not every ordained woman is a radical feminist who wants to burn her bra and take down the patriarchy. Some of them are, are very, very traditional. They might be confused about about things. They might be wrong about things, but they don't need to be whacked <laughs> right. on social media. They don't need to go. You don't need to go after, after them as strongly as you go after the feminist bra burning. Well, that's yeah. why that's one of my arguments. Yeah. That's a perfect argument for what I'm advocating, which is that if we actually is ACNA presbyters, we have to allow for the fact that there are good arguments, which we may disagree with, but nevertheless, faithful, biblically sourced arguments for women, uh, priests, and deacons, which are still under the headship of the bishop. And so that's how this compromise has been reached. And so not everyone's going to argue that um, eloquently or biblically, but there are those who do. And I want to be sympathetic to them and say, okay, I may not agree with you, or at least I may not see um, this read on Ephesians 5 the same way, but I do respect and trust that you have, in fact, submitted yourself to the scriptures and you are seeing this as part of a evangelical witness to the world. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm not just okay, but that's what I signed up for. You know, I may, you know, I may um, come work in your diocese or in my diocese, you know, where we have women rectors, you know, but in the diocese right next door, they only allow women priests and not rectors. And then your diocese, so no one, I mean, you know, there's that. don't have any. Right. That's the variety we have. And I'm with you. I think that, I think that more um, appreciation of the actual um, non-cynical, non-dismissive quote unquote, um, you know, soft complementarian argument, which is what was represented by the ACNA's limitation on women, uh, men only to the to the Episcopacy, 
is only going to be for the betterment of us all. Because I, you know, we all know hypothetically there are these ordained women who still believe the Bible, who some of us know and love, um, who uh, you know, who who we find very near and dear to our hearts, you know. So we would we'd hate to cause them any pain or hurt, Matt. Just so you know, uh, that would be a very sad thing for all of us. So, but I think you know, again, I mean, Matt, you've seen this from the beginning, and I know um, that people were all involved in a in a. Um, you know, the sort of compromises and trying to make allowances and dealing with a variety of, uh, of um, convictions about all sorts of things. But I'll say it again, I think that the bones and the foundational convictions are strong enough if we can just live into them and embrace them and not allow the d- divides to go underground, but to just be full-throated and upfront about where the actual conflict will lie it's not a conflict that necessarily has to has to divide us once again. But I think that if the only way that it definitely will is if we continue to deny that in fact there is a conflict at all. Um, yeah, I I agree with that. I, I I probably am a little bit to the to the more conservative side of you, but I I agree in general that you know to join the ACNA to be a member of the ACNA is to say this subject at least insofar as women are not bishops. This is an area where we can disagree and yet still maintain fellowship, and in the disagreement can be one of a, a collegial one or should be a collegial one. That's why this move by Gafcon is so is so dangerous because it it, it threatens to it threatens and destabilize this kind of uh, agreement that we've that we've had. But in general, you know, I think I think where the ACNA goes from now from from this point is uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping. That we can, we can that the canons, the constitution, of course, will remain the same. I don't think there's any threat to it being, uh, to those things being overturned in the near future. The the greatest threat to the ACNA now is is that more cynical side of the pro WO, which is also the you know, pushing wokeness in all in all realms. I think that's that's the great challenge and threat of our day uh, to the ACNA and to other denominations, um, as a fight for orthodoxy. And this, this question of women is just, is just bound up into it. And, um, our task as ordained people and as Christians also who are not ordained, um, is to stand firm and to, and to, uh, and to make the argument and hold the line, um, and pass on the faith to the next generation undefiled. Amen. Well, to the surprise of no one, the conversation on women's ordination threatens to go long. Um, That is all the time that we're going to allot for ourselves this week. We do appreciate you listening as always. If you'd like to keep the conversation going, you can be in touch with us, rate and review the podcast on iTunes, send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thank you to Matt Kennedy and to J.D. Koch. I'm Nick Lannon, and Lord willing, we'll be back next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,